Well, like Kenny said, I'm an elder at Southwood. I'm Chris White and super excited and humbled to be with you all today. Uh, we're, uh, in fact, a little bit more about me that's even more important than being an elder. I'm also a husband and a father, in case you know any of the family. Uh, we've got me and my wife, Jennifer, and then we've got Harper, Hudson, Braxton, and Berkeley. And uh, it, our oldest is an, is an Aggie now. So I thought we might hear a little whoop there. Uh, and so we're excited. Uh, our topic for today, though, is, is connecting in the workplace. And that's why they kind of asked me to speak, being someone that's more in the workplace. I work for a company called The Flipping Group. I'm a consultant. Uh, done, I've done consulting with teams and individuals for 20 years. And so they said, well, hey, Chris, come and talk to us about just how we can better connect and be a light in the workplace. And so uh, super excited to do that. Let me be clear, though, in terms of a couple of definitions. One, what is a workplace? Am I referring to people that work in fairly mid to large sized corporations? No, no. So if you work in it for a company, that's great. You've got a workplace. If you're a college student, you've got a dorm room, you've got classrooms that really right now are your workplace. If you're a stay-at-home parent, you've got living rooms, you've got volunteer organizations you're part of that are your workplace. If you're a, a, a fifth grader, a sixth grader, You've got, uh, your classroom in a sense is still your workplace. So whatever age you are, whatever stage, whatever your job is, we all have a workplace. Uh, my, my background uh, is a PhD in statistics. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> Did somebody lose a bet? I mean, really? And so, yeah, anyway, I do apologize for that. You know, I, I, when you're young and stupid, you don't think about consequences. And I, I made the mistake of staying in school. And a few semesters later, wham, I have to live with that diploma every day of my life. Um, I keep trying to, here, someone's communion cup here. I'm going to step on it. Uh, I keep trying to lie on my bio and take it off, you know, and they keep putting it back on. So anyway, uh, so I say that to say that's kind of, I'm coming from more of a science even of how do we engage with people? So a little bit of a different perspective, not quite as expository today, a little more topical sermon, but I hope you find value in it. So we're going to talk about seven ways to really live a testimony, to live your faith, to be a light in the workplace. The first one is one, and it may be the most important one, maybe even the stickiest one. So I really want this one to sink in. I'm going to get your brain engaged by even kind of leaving you hanging. And I'm going to see if you can guess what's in the blank. So think for a minute, how would you, if I want to live my faith in the workplace, I've really got to believe that we're all in blank. So think what you might put in that blank there. Uh, In fact, go ahead and just tell your neighbor what you might think it is. So tell your neighbor. Okay, so we'll see if anybody got it. So who said, I have no idea. Okay, got a few of those. Thank you, thank you. Who said, believe we're all in love? Yeah, that's not it. That, <laughs> uh, who said, we're all in trouble? Okay, okay, you got a couple of troubles there. Um, who said, believe we're all in this together, like the high school musical song? Okay, so we got some high school musical fans. Sorry to get that tune in your head. My bad. So kids back there are definitely excited now. But no, we're not going to sing that song. I'm not going to sing a song for sure. But the answer is to believe that we're all in ministry. We're all in ministry. And that may not sound quite so profound as I made the build-up sound, but that really is so foundational. So let's, with all of these, we'll have a verse. And so um, let me read you this verse from Colossians. Whatever you do... In word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do. So, uh, if we're all in ministry, that's going to change some things for us, wouldn't it? In fact, here's a way to test for sure if you're really in ministry. You can actually hold two fingers up. You can do it now. You can do it later. It can be either hand. You can hold two fingers up, put them up to your neck like this. 
And if you feel that pulse, the, 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 then you're in ministry. Does everybody feel it? Okay, if you don't feel it, tell me, because that's concerning, and I'll call somebody. So we really are all in ministry, and, and here's a fascinating picture. Uh, in fact, who, who here has been on like a mission trip of some sort? So a decent number of people. Who's done kind of a, a service project, maybe even local, some type of service project? Okay, even more? <clears throat> So think about this for a minute. What if, what if you could go on a mission trip anywhere you wanted? Like think of a place, even if it's kind of fun. You know, like when I was growing up, we, we did a few mission trips to like tr- struggling places. My wife, you know, her church went to like Lake Tahoe. And I'm like, that's, that's not right. That's not right. But hey, I mean, I, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. Lake Tahoe needs ministry too. Okay. But anyway, <clears throat> uh, think of a place you could go. <clears throat> And, and so literally, have a, have a, it could be a geographic area in the U.S., it could be a different country, it could be a city, it could be a subgroup of people, a demographic group that you've always felt passionate about. But I want you to literally think of a place right now, and what if, like, what if like even today, the people that know you best, your kind of Christian community came around you and said, hey, I don't know what's up with this, but we really feel like you're called to go to blank. And they actually said the exact thing that you just said or thought in your head. Wouldn't that be crazy? What if you get a postcard on Monday and it's from that place? You're like, no way, this is crazy. Uh, that could happen. But now I'm going to twist it a little bit. What if your Christian community actually did come to you today and they said this? We actually do believe, so again, this is like, think of this more realistically, not hypothetically. What if they came up to you and said, we do believe that you're called to be a missionary in College Station, Texas? Oh, you know, would that change your mindset a little bit? Would it change kind of how you spend your time? Would it change how you see your workplace, your colleagues, even some of the stresses and challenges in life? Oh, interesting. So really believing we're all in ministry is a huge, you know, kind of foundational piece today. And I'll, I'll, I'll repeat that because it is that foundational. One final point on this one. I do, want you to, I do want you to make sure you emphasize that this type of ministry is more of a team sport. You can almost make it, it can almost feel like this is you kind of working in isolation, you in your workplace. But I want you to think about who can you gather around and work together to make a more collective difference. Okay, so number one, we're all in ministry. Number two, accept that your workplace won't be perfect. Uh, uh, so your workplace, your boss, your colleagues won't be, your clients won't be perfect. So let's read the verse in James. So Jesus' little brother after a one-verse greeting, says this. He could have said a lot of things next, right? This is what he said next. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Man, there's a lot of richness in that. And the joy is a little deeper word, right? This, he didn't say consider it all happiness. This is a deeper joy that's more independent of your circumstances. So, your workplace is not going to be perfect, but there's a problem. See, there's an enemy that we're not fighting very well. Uh, well wait, before I get to that, fun, funny pictures, funny pictures. Um, so that look when you don't want to go to work, anybody relate to that when you're going to work? Okay, I see a hand, I see a hand. How about this one? I'm looking back at my house as I'm leaving for work. Any, okay, I see one, two hands there. Perfect. Here's one about bosses. Um, what my boss expects from me. Anybody feel that way? It's never enough. Anybody's boss here today? Don't, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. And don't answer anything here. Just look straight ahead. Don't express any. No, but the truth is bosses aren't perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. So what do we do with that? 
Well, if we really believe that we're all in ministry, we are going to see that a little differently. But Chris, my job isn't really, you know, they don't let me do the thing that I'm most passionate about. Or if I'd only majored in this, or my, my, my cousin's friend, they get to do this. And I always wanted, and they post on Facebook, you know, so we can have all these kind of what ifs. So how, what do we do with this? Let's talk about that. So what's the enemy? There's an enemy that we're not fighting very well. And there's an enemy that we all fight against. And here's what it is. The enemy is entitlement. We're kind of spoiled. I'm kind of spoiled. One quick illustration of this, um, and you can do this today. The local Kroger, the one closest to here, a decent sized grocery store, not massive, but pretty good size. I wanted to know how many different loaves of bread do they have? And not how many loaves of bread, like how many of the same kind of loaf of bread, right? If you've got the butter, split top, wheat, missing berries, whatever, you know, I'm not saying like, I didn't count how many of those. I'm only counting the UPC codes. How many different kinds of loaves of bread do they have at Kroger? And I'm not counting the rolls. I'm not counting the organic section. I'm not counting uh, stuff over in the bakery. I'm only talking about part of one aisle that has those sleeves with a, a, a loaf of bread sliced up and a twisty at the end. Just in that aisle, guess how many lo- different kinds of loaves of bread we can buy? A hundred and one. Like, really? It's bread, right? Um, so, but yeah, I'll read you some of the, the terms there. They had multi-grain, seven-grain, wheat, honey wheat, 100% whole wheat, double-fiber wheat, butter, butter split-top wheat, and, and white and whatever else. So it is kind of crazy. So is that a problem that we have too much bread? Do we need to protest at Kroger today? No, no. And, and, it's, and if you like a certain kind of bread, eat that bread. You're fine. Eat your bread. But, but we do need to remind ourselves we are a little bit spoiled. We don't really manage our expectations terribly well. In fact, let me give you a definition of expectations that'll be kind of a little bit of a mind bender. Expectations are premeditated disappointments. Hmm, okay. Expectations are premeditated disappointments. So I expect my job to be a certain way. I expect my boss not to do the thing I've asked him not to do. I expect that colleague to do what I asked him to do or to at least, you know, have behavior that's consistent enough with mine. Oh, okay. Okay. So, and now are expectations bad? Some of you in the room that may be kind of skeptical or analytical might say, well, Chris, that's, that's, that's certainly an oversimplified definition. And to that, I would say, absolutely it is. It's just supposed to get you thinking. So that no, there's nothing inherently wrong with expectations, but can we take them too far in the workplace? Yes, at least I can. Um, You know, I mentioned earlier the joy versus happiness, right? There's the deeper joy versus the kind of surface level happiness. There's the independent of circumstances versus the kind of swayed by the the daily or hourly, you know, what kind of email or what kind of environment or who did or didn't do something. Even that fourth bullet point there about kind of choosing to be passionate versus find your passion. Next year, I'll have three kids in the youth group. Three kids in the youth group. So all of them kind of, you know, some closer than others, right? But all of them getting ready for college, things like that. So will I tell those three kids as they kind of get closer to college, hey, don't worry about finding your passion. That's a bunch of, you know, it, it, don't, don't even worry about, no, I'm not going to say that. I certainly would say you should, if you, if you have a choice, major in something that you have more interest in. Something that, that God has stirred in you that would, be, that would be consistent with that, that'd be great. But isn't there also a danger in this kind of find your passion? 
You find this magical job or role or company where everything is perfect. And again, we don't say that, but I think it's hard not to fight. It's hard to, if we don't fight against that, because again, we're kind of entitled. So the last bullet point there, can I reframe my boss and, and my colleagues in my workplace? Can I really see them differently? If I really believe that I'm in ministry, if I really believed that I'm planted somewhere, would I see it a little differently? I don't know. I think we would. I think I would. So, so number three, number three, focus on conversing. And by the way, as I go through these, be thinking about which one jumps out at you the most. Because at the end, I'll ask you, hey, which of these would you say is really kind of resonating? Which one could you apply a little bit more? So we're all in ministry. Our workplace will not be perfect. Number three, focus more on conversing, not just converting. The verse for this one is so perfect. First Corinthians, it says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. And I know for me, I just kind of, I'm pretty persuasive, right? I, I'm a consultant for a living, so I talk to people, try to help them be better, try to say it just the right way where I don't put them on the defense, try to articulate uh, the topics I'm speaking about in a way that, that resonates and, and persuade others. And it's pretty hard not to then take, a, take on all the pressure when I'm talking about faith things too. So that verse is such a conviction even for me in a good way that you don't have to have all that pressure. So let's talk about this one a little bit. Um, in terms of conversing, not converting, when is the last time that you really, really listened? Think of a conversation recently where you would say to yourself, oh man, I killed it. I was an amazing listener. I mean, I just, oh, it was just, it was supernatural, right? We don't, I don't even, hardly even think that way. I mean, I try to listen, at least not interrupt. How about that? I didn't interrupt today. You know, that's better than interrupting, I guess. But it's still pretty far from what we're saying here to really focus on that relationship and conversation. Um, think about the word evangelism. In fact, I'll have you do this with your neighbor. And then I'll, I'll it's a mini version of an, of an activity that Chris Merrill did in a, a grace kind of class I was in not too long, not too, uh, long ago. So, so here's what I want you to do. When you think about the word evangelism, I want you to tell your neighbor what's just a, the first kind of word or two that comes to mind. The first emotion or two that comes to mind. When you think about you being evangelistic and evangelism, what's the first word that comes to mind? Tell your neighbor, 20 seconds, go. Okay, so let me tell you what the, what the group came up with when uh, Chris Merrill did this activity. We had words like guilt, Words like sales pitch, unnatural, obligation, kind of a turnoff, really unqualified. Like feeling like we just don't have all the right answers and uh, almost you're talking to strangers, intimidating. But then my math friend in the class said a word that, I mean, I, I got almost choked up. He said the word binary. That's such a great math word. I mean, are you any math people in the room? Are you okay? Thank you. Thank you. So you with me there? I mean, I, I felt that thing once. Oh, what do you people call it? Emotion. Emotion. I felt that thing once and it was amazing. It was amazing. So even as a statistician, I did feel that. But the word binary does capture so well, right? Somebody either agreed with me or not. They shifted their position or not. They accepted Jesus or not. And that is just maybe too binary. And so some of the words we came up with instead of that, um, and not everybody's word was negative, but we did have several of those in there. But were terms like relationship, terms like meeting needs, terms like sharing and connecting. 
And so it is healthy to, and helpful to, think, to kind of rethink the word evangelism and make sure we don't hold on to some of the negative aspects of it. In fact, there's one other really key trait that, um, that if you want to be good at talking about your faith, you need to have. Think for a minute what that might be. What is a really key trait that would help you talk about your faith, even in the workplace, even better? And if I told you, if I asked you right now and told you, I don't know any, any, if any of you would get it. I mean, you might get it on your list, but I don't know that it, it will be on the top of your list. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's the most important thing, but it's one we often overlook. And here's what it is. Being flawed. Being flawed. Like we just expect our life to be perfect, our, our articulation of our stance to be perfect, our knowledge of other people's whatever to be perfect. And, and really, a lot of people, seekers, are more drawn to r- realness, right? To vulnerability, to, to challenge. And so to have a shared challenge with somebody versus this kind of unilateral, I've got all the answers and my life's put together, may be a better stance to have. And so think about that. Uh, and of course, as part of this, yes, you want to be sensitive. Yes, you want to think about the relationship. But there's still certainly a place to know when do you share the gospel. And certainly in the meantime, let's be praying for people. Let's be praying for ourselves too, for that matter. Okay, so think about that one. Is that the one of the seven that jumps out at you? Focusing on the conversation. Number four, this one's kind of a different one. A little more outside the box. And I was torn with the wording. Be fun to disagree with. I, I, almost, wanted to, I almost changed it, in fact, like last week to say be easy to disagree with. And because I was talking to somebody about the, the, the sermon. And then I came back to know fun is the right word, I think at least. So let's read the verse for this one. Proverbs 16, 21 says, The wise in heart will be called understanding, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Ah. So can I be fun to disagree with? Do I have sweetness of speech interspersed even in a hot button topic? If I were to talk to you about religion or politics or values or whatever, would you be someone that's fun to disagree with? Now, this one has some dangers. Somebody might say, well, Chris, it makes it, you make it sound like you, don't ever, you shouldn't have a stance on anything. You make it sound like you should just concede your opinions to make people happy and disarm them, whatever. Well, I'm not saying never have an opinion. The question is still simple. Are you fun slash easy to disagree with? So let's see if you are. Here's a little fun quiz. Um, So think about these five questions as you kind of examine your own ease of disagreement with. Uh, So the first question, pretty self-explanatory. Are you easy to disagree or wrestle a topic with? Two, would an atheist or a Muslim or a spiritual struggler or an academic type even want to talk to you? Would they find that conversation kind of fruitful and helpful? Or would they find almost a... You know, an, I don't know, an indifference or a, dogma, a dogmatic approach or whatever. And again, I'm not saying have wavering, you know, doctrinal positions to try to disarm people. I didn't say waver. We're talking about would they want to talk to you. Uh, number three, do you overpower or, or overtalk? Is your mode of persuasion often to repeat yourself? Are you someone that in a lot of conversations almost can't help but kind of take charge? And again, if you're more assertive, more outspoken, that's awesome. God can use that. But can we overdo it? Yeah. Yeah, I can. I can. Are you a great question asker? You know, me being a consultant for 20 years, I've had you know, 10,000 coaching sessions where I've had to talk to somebody and ask questions to draw things out and try to you know, create some level of self-discovery. And that's not easy to do. And I'm still learning. 
But if, if, if it's taken me 20 years and even with 10,000 chances to practice, I'm still not great at it. That's interesting, right? It says that we're all on the journey. In fact, here's one little bonus, very specific way um, you can do number four better. Uh, the, the question asker piece. Um, there's a two-word question that not very many people ask. If you ask this two-word question pretty often, or at least every once in a while, I'm going to say, hey, well, then there's some data saying that you may be better at that. If you never ask it or hardly ever ask it, it's at least an indicator that it's one you could add to your toolkit. So what is this magical two-word question? The question is, what else? What else? When's the last time you were so engrossed in someone else's perspective or their life or their story that even when they finish sharing something, or you're asking them their opinion on something, or especially, again, we're talking about the workplace in particular, that you said, what else? You really wanted to hear them out. And I don't do that too often. And then lastly, the fifth one under this one, do you state opinions with grace and humility? Again, we're not saying don't have opinions. And there's a place, of, there's a place for boldness, let's be clear. But there's also a place to, to have grace and humility, even with our boldness. It's not always just one or the other. I think they're really interwoven together the more I'm learning. So think about that one. Maybe that's your, your, your top one so far, being, more, being easier or more fun to disagree with. Number five, this is a big one, fight your fears. So I'm trying to live my faith in the workplace. Could I have fears that get in the way of that? Mm, let's read the verse for this one. In Psalms, it says, I sought the Lord... And he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Think about fears for a minute. You know where they come from, right? They come from middle school. Middle school, all of them. All of them. I mean, you know, luckily, my kids, you know, I knew this. I knew this. So my kids all went from fifth grade straight to ninth grade. And they skip those years. They don't have any fears, no baggage, no insecurities. It's awesome. It's awesome. So if you, if you went to middle school, then you know, you've got some fears. But, but uh, on this one, the, the self-critical behavior is when I'm going to zoom in on big time on this. So think for a minute. Uh, in fact, if you're a little bit more self-critical, and let me define that term just a little bit more, you're a little bit harder on yourself, um, maybe a, a bit more of a perfectionist, someone that can maybe hold on to a, a mistake and don't, you know, you're not like oblivious to it. You don't like making mistakes. You, you, you want to do well. You want people to like you. And again, you're, you're, you're harder on yourself internally. If you're a little bit more self-critical, don't say anything for a second. Okay, well, that's all of us. That's all of us. Okay, there's, there's a little trick there. But anyway, the, the truth is, I found that even in my, my coaching sessions, I've talked about this behavior maybe more than any other human behavior. In other words, so many people struggle with this that, that it, it almost, it's, it's rare for it not to come up in some level of engagement with somebody talking about kind of their behavioral DNA and how they engage with people. When you, when you think about yourself critical, I want you to think about your self-talk. Think about how you talk to yourself. Think about, how, not, not out loud necessarily, even though that's okay too. You can do that. But think about how you talk to yourself when you do make a mistake or you're late to something or you say something and then you realize, oh, I shouldn't even have said that. They, I, I had it backwards or whatever. What do you say to yourself? If you were to, you know, your car, if you were to, to back up and, and just you know, scrape a, the, the, a limb of a tree or something and scrape your car a little bit, what would you say to yourself? If you were to, to make a mistake that impacted somebody else, if, you were to, if you're playing sports and you miss a shot, if you're in music and you hit a wrong note, what do you say to yourself? So that's what we're talking about with the self-critical. And, and like I said, I've talked about this so many times. Uh, 
And it's also one that, that definitely um, affects me in my own journey. I think about even uh, in, I can remember in, in college, I, I was playing basketball and it was a competitive game, and I got my finger jammed on a rebound, like, pretty hard. So it was, it was swelling, but, you know, you just play through it, right? And then, sure enough, right after that, I got fouled, and I'm going up to shoot free throws, and I, I, I missed both of them. I missed both of them. I could actually, I could literally walk you to the gym where that happened. I could walk you right up to the free throw line and tell you exactly, and you might say, oh, Chris, you play college basketball. I mean, PhD statistician and an athlete, dang. You know, I'm talking about intramurals. <laughs> but I really could. I really could walk you to that end of the gym and tell you exactly where I was. Now, I'm over here sweating. No. Uh, as I talk about it, do I lose sleep over that? Do I have nightmares? No. But am I too hard on myself at times? Yes. In high school, I had really, really bad acne, and I was, you know, really, really skinny, you know, 6'3", 140 pounds, Really, really insecure, and a little, this will surprise you, a little bit nerdy. Now, nobody's ever surprised when I say that. Like, I just want one time a group to go, what? No way. But so anyway, pretty nerdy. The whole math stat thing gives it away, I think, along with some other things that I may not be as aware of. But anyway, uh, so I was highly insecure. And I remember especially a church group talking about, so this, this guy came in and talked about self-esteem which is kind of random, right? I don't remember a lot of youth groups. In fact, that was the only time I ever remember talking about that. He did like a three or four week series. His name was James Musgraves. Uh, You know, I knew him because I went to the church for a long time. But he's talking about, you know, being hard on yourself and insecurity, things like that, pretty applicable to high school students. Well, I don't remember a lot of what he said because most of the time, I'm just trying not not to have my tears just burst out of me. Because I'm just dealing with so much. I'm a master. I, I was a master of bottling things up. And I'm still pretty darn good at it. So I'll never forget. Like it was this last week. And I'm like, okay, let me just get through it. And just as soon as it was over. There's none of this. Let me talk in small groups and continue the conversation. I couldn't dare even talk about any of that without bursting into tears. So I just darted out of the room. Again, I'm a senior in high school. I'm not like some you know, child or whatever. I dart out of the room, walk outside, and just start walking around the church. And uh, just to let it all out, right? And just, you know, hoping nobody sees me. And sure enough, my mom drives up. You know, they had the youth group before the service. So she drives up right when I'm walking by, right within earshot. And I'm just, oh my gosh. And she's like, hey, honey, you okay? And what did I say? Yeah. Yeah. What's wrong? Nothing. Nothing. And so see what I did? You know what I did? I did what a lot of us do. We fight that battle right here in our heads. How unfortunate. Like it says here at the bottom, how do we fight our fears? How do we deal with those fears? How do we deal with those self-critical tendencies? We've got to put it in the light. We've got to talk about it. And it's not, I didn't get much better fighting it in here. Some other things we can do is just genuinely believing God can use you. But Chris, my life isn't all together, and I don't even read the Bible enough, and I don't even have all the answers to all these other faith positions, and I just feel like, do you really believe God can use you? Oh, it's all on you. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Oh, okay. Can Can we pray against those fears? And then can you also practice the last point there? It's a muscle you have to strengthen. you got to work it out. And so you may say, well, my fear muscle is pretty, pretty weak right now. Awesome. It's only going to get stronger. Only going to get stronger. So that's number five. Is, is your number one takeaway, I need to make sure I fight my fears. Last uh, verse on this one. I just love this verse so much. 
It's speaking of insecurities. In Hebrews it says, Hebrews 13, 6, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Afraid, what can man do to me? What can somebody else do to me? What if I really live like that? It's funny, I was with Blake Jennings, our Southwood teaching pastor, literally yesterday. And somebody made a joke uh, kind of about Blake, but it was pretty playful. Like they were saying, how long are the, the sermons in, in Grace? And uh, they, somebody joked, they said, oh, they're 40 minutes, except at Southwood. You're kind of implying that Blake goes over, which he actually doesn't, so it really was a joke. Like if somebody did that all the time, then it might be kind of a jerk thing to say. Uh, but, but, it's, but it's funny, you know, I asked Blake afterwards, because I'm really kind of in tune with that kind of little, even milder sarcasm. It's not my favorite. It, afterwards, if one of you came up to me and said, hey, Chris, hey, don't quit your day job. But hey, no, really, though, it was good. You know, like you weren't that bad. You know, and even, even John Creel, he joked with me because I, I said that joke earlier um, in the first service. John Creel came up to me and said, hey, during your sermon, only four people walked out. And, and now that one I can laugh at because it really is that far off. So, John, you're totally good. I forgive you. Uh, but like with Blake, I asked him, I said, Blake, did that throw you off a little bit? And he said, no, no. But you know what? It does with me sometimes. And why is that? It's because I give people too much power. Mm. Mm. My fear of man is too strong. It's too strong. So is that your number one of the seven? Number, uh, last one on this one, I'm still scared. Hey, you can do it. You can do it with God's help. Number six, meet needs. Why is it when we think about engaging with somebody and kind of modeling our faith and trying to, to really help plant seeds with people. Why is it we don't start more often with this? So let's read the verse for meeting needs. In Matthew 25, it says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me, I was in prison, and you came to me. I mean, that could not be any more clear about how we need to be meeting needs. And thankfully, we're a body, and I know many of you personally, we do that. But do I think of it often enough? Not, not enough. Not enough. I, I know uh, there's a, a church in town that, uh, that wanted to engage with a school, and they, they weren't kind of sure how to do that, right? Because it's kind of tricky, right? Church and school don't, don't mix so well. So they just decided, hey, we're just going to write notes of encouragement to people. We, we don't even know the staff, but we're going we're to write notes of encouragement. And we're going to bring food. How many of you in here, your love language, like me, is free food? Okay, there we go. There we go. We got several. Um, so after, you know, maybe afterwards, somebody could buy the four of us a lunch. Any volunteers? Okay, I got a volunteer. Free lunch. Anyway, so they're bringing free food to meet needs. And you know what happened? That school decided to put up a plaque in honor of a church. And go look, it's in Bryan High School, right? It's crazy, right? So you've got a, a, a church helping truly meet needs for a school so much that you end up with that, that level of kind of uh, public even appreciation. So pretty cool, pretty cool. Um, another fun story on meeting needs my nephew works at BJ's restaurant here in town, and you may, you may guess this, but they, they all kind of joke, the staff all kind of jokes on what shift you don't want every week. Guess what shift that people don't want every week? 
Sunday after church. Now, you might say, well, Chris, you're a statistician. You know there's more, there's more causality to that than just churchgoers being bad tippers. Um, even though there may be a few of those. Oh, fine. You know, but maybe it's just that meals are cheaper. There's lunch specials. Uh, maybe it's a more frugal group. That, you know, uh, okay, maybe. Probably. But it's still, their perception is still their reality. That as churchgoers, as Christians, not really known as people that are looking to really meet needs in terms of writing a tip on there. Even for myself, anytime I see that tip line, even if it's a place where it's like, what am I tipping for here? I'm getting this and leaving. You didn't do anything. I just, I don't tip at Kroger. I'm tipping here. I don't know why. Um, but I still just put a dollar on it, right? I mean, is it that big a deal? Or, or maybe I used to just kind of grumble. Like, that's ridiculous. Why do you have that? That's, that just seems silly, right? Yeah, I tip a dollar a handful of times a year when that happens. Good for me. Good for me. Good for me to let go of my need to control everything and judge everything and work, get worked up about silly things. So if I really believed I was in ministry, would I better see that my workplace isn't perfect? Would I better have conversations? Would I better meet needs? And then lastly, um, if I was really trying to be a light in the workplace, I would handle conflict better. I would handle it more as if I'm set apart. So Matthew 5, 9, it's like my favorite verse. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Gosh, I just love it. I could go on and on about that verse, right? The word peacemaker wasn't just like a peaceful person. The word peace was actually more of a rebinding. It wasn't just a, a contentment. It was more of a rebinding. A maker wasn't just someone that made bread. It's more of a kind of a pursuer. So you can almost kind of paraphrase for fun there. Blessed are the kind of reconciliation pursuers. You think about your own conflict you've had in your family or workplace. Are you known as the one that'll help bring reconciliation, whether you're involved in it or a third party even? Great question. I got five points for this one that are kind of fun to think about. When I think about conflict, and I've thought about conflict a lot, and I've experienced a lot of conflict. I've caused a decent amount myself. Um, I need to look in the mirror more. I need to look at the log in my own eye versus the speck in somebody else's eye. I need to check my expectations. We talked about that earlier, but now we're applying it more to conflict. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Jesus' little brother James says, he says in chapter 4 of James, you want things and don't get them. Oh, oh. so my conflict is at least partly due to me needing something from somebody else that I should be seeking more, you know, vertical versus horizontal. Oh, I need to better celebrate differences. And I'm talking more about behavioral differences there. Think about a relationship you're in, whether it's a marriage or dating or whatever. Uh, You often have someone who's more detailed and tidy and someone who's more free-flowing. You may have someone that's more sensitive and someone who's more kind of thick-skinned. Someone who's more outspoken, someone who's a bit more quiet. Do you really celebrate those differences when you think about the conflict in your life? Do you really see those differences clearly? Mm, I don't know if I do. Uh, go, first, go, go first to own your part, right? Kind of goes back to number one, but number one is more of a look in the mirror. This is now do something with that. Like go first, but, what, but Chris, what if I'm less to blame? Like you want me to go first in that conflict in my, in my workplace. It's not my fault. My boss is my boss. Is it my colleague? My colleague's the one that started it. They did it. I didn't, I just, well, I didn't respond perfectly, but they... So will I go first even if I'm less to blame is a great question. And then lastly, can I have healthy after-conflict conversations? We, we often need to vent after conflict. It's, it's something that it's almost impossible not to. But the question isn't do I vent a little bit. The question is how do I do that? Is it constructive and healthy 
Or is it more of a gossipy, you know, blame thing? And there's, these two verses there are fire, literally fire. They're both about fire. Proverbs 26 says, without, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. In James, it says, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. So I need to have healthier after-conflict conversations where I'm not gossiping and I'm not stirring things up and making things worse and triangulating things, things like that. So as we wrap up today, here's your, you're, you're going to share with your neighbor. First, with your neighbor, just quickly do a thumbs up or thumbs down. Do you love glitter? Do you love glitter? So this will be yes, this will be no. And then after you answer that, you're going to say, which of those seven did jump out at you the most? So with your neighbor, and don't leave somebody out if they're kind of a solo, look around, make sure nobody's left out. Thumbs up, thumbs down on glitter. Which one could you apply more? Two minutes, go. Okay. So uh, before the important stuff, are glitter lovers, any glitter lovers in the room? Okay, not a whole lot. We got one hand that went up quick. Okay, even the kids over here were like, ah. You know, so I was, I was surprised even. So uh, I, I one time bought some glitter as a prop to use in something like this. And my daughter, who's here today, is in my car. She's like, oh, what is this? Opens it up and spills it. I mean, you talk about feeling that emotion thing that I mentioned. You know, I was like, what? Uh, so, uh, so no, I don't love glitter. You know, it's just, they need to make biodegradable, like quickly, bio, like biodegrading like 24 hours glitter. I don't think that's possible. So uh, think about which one you can apply this week. Uh, and, and as we launch today, you know, oh, clicker, there we go. Uh, my, my question is this, what would it look like? What would it look like if you could really see your boss differently? What would it look like if you could really see your colleagues differently? What would it look like if you went to work on Monday and saw it more as a genuine field for ministry where you're, you're looking to, to, to serve? I was talking to a college student, and uh, she, she's, her name's Brooke. She goes to Grace. And she got a job in Dallas, and she says, she said to me, I don't expect to love my job. So again, she's a senior in college, already has a job in Dallas. And she said, Chris, I don't expect to love my job. It's a place I'll serve. So what if we could really see our workplace as a place where we are planted, we are called, and we are missionaries to truly, truly serve? Let's pray. Uh, God, just thank you for uh, a body of believers. We can come together and just process things, uh, open your word, uh, look for ways to apply it. Uh, God, thank you that we have workplaces that we can be a light. And uh, God, help us to apply these things today. Help us to see our workplaces differently. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great week and see your workplace differently on Monday.